0: Today on The First 40 Miles, we're on site at Heather Lake in Washington State with Rudy from the Cascade Hiker podcast. We'll talk about trail service and Pulaski's. Then we'll review a lightweight container that can hold your precious habanero flakes or a week's worth of ibuprofen. For the backpack hack of the week, a quick flick of your foot may prevent a trail full of mud bogs. And we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from a nature writer of the 20th century. All this, and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. Hey, we're
1: out on the trail today. We took a trip up to my parents' house and then uh, decided to go up into my old stomping grounds in the North Cascades. So we took a trip up to Heather Lake, of all places, and we're sitting on a rock up here, just enjoying the beautiful scenery around Heather Lake. Today, it's a beautiful summer day, blue skies, perfect weather, it's been amazing. So if you hear a little background noise, like uh, that airplane (laughs) that I hear now, or the frogs, or the creek, It's because we're just sitting on the rock here at Heather Lake. Um, Anyway, uh, we're not alone. It's not just the two of us. We have Rudy from the Cascade Hiker podcast. He met up with us at the Trailhead, and
2: we hiked up here together today. How's it going, Rudy? Hey, what's up, guys? I want to say that uh, this is now dubbed the Heather Lakeler Trail. (laughs) Thank you.
1: (laughs) So uh, we've mentioned you a couple times on our show, so hopefully our listeners have found you already, but if they haven't, I think they should.
2: Yeah, well, I do pretty much just interviews. So, yeah, it's just me and usually one or two other people interview about uh, kind of more or less their specialty on the trail or or something maybe they've done that I haven't done that I want to know about.
1: And you're really focused on the Northwest, the North Cascades. But I feel like also uh, anyone, even if they don't live in the Northwest, it's fun for me because I hear all these places that you mentioned that, oh, yeah, I went there when I was growing up. But I think anyone could get a lot from your show, just uh, hearing about hiking, just that that motivation to get out.
2: It's cool. Yeah, people are going to be looking up uh, Heather Lakeler on the map now.
0: (laughs) Well, one of the reasons that we wanted to talk to Rudy today is because he has a real passion for trail service and he's had a lot of experience and put in a lot of trail hours repairing trails and connecting with groups that repair trails and uh, getting his hands dirty on the trail. So um, how did that start? What got you thinking about doing more than just hiking on the trail?
2: Well, it started back with my dad. Back in the 90s when uh, Washington Trails Association really started putting an effort towards that. And he started giving back with photography, but uh, he never got his hands dirty, per se. Mm -hmm. You know, that little spark kind of just as I grew and I thought, you know, where are these trails going to be in the future for them if we don't put a little effort back into them?
1: And so what was your first
2: experience? Was it through WTA? It was, yeah. Washington Trails Association. uh, This was before I had kids. I was actually on the Mount Forgotten Perry Creek Trail up the Mountain Loop Highway and just moving rocks, getting them out of the trail and making a creek bed, showing the water where to go off the trail, and that was kind of my first start.
0: So you and a wheelbarrow and some work gloves? And yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, basically, I mean, when you're out there working on the trails, you don't have anything motorized, nothing electrical. It's all hands. It's all manpower. Wow. So even the saws, you know, you're using the old-school saws from the 50s and earlier. Now, I don't do a lot of saw work myself, but I, I like the dirt. There's kind of two sides. So you got the dirt trail, trail work, and that's really what I like. So you know, using shovels, picks, plaskies. That's that's kind of where I'm at.
0: Yeah, I want a plasky for my birthday.
2: Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what can you explain what a plasky is for those of us who don't know?
2: <laughs> yeah, so it's it's uh, captured really well in the book uh, Big Burn. If listeners want to check that book out, it's really cool. But uh, there was a guy named Ed Plasky, and he worked for the Forest Service. And there was a big fire in Idaho, I think it was like nineteen oh eight or something, I can't remember the exact date, but he was a guy that, uh, that that had that had to carry a pick and he had to carry a digging tool. And he thought, Well, why can't I just put a pick on the back of this digging tool? And so he basically just combined two tools and, and, and made it easier to carry. Wow.
0: <laughs> So you started off picking up rocks, but as you've progressed with your trail service, what other kinds of projects have you done, and uh, what kind of training have you received on the trail?
2: Yeah, well, uh, I now focus all my efforts with the Pacific Crest Trail Association, and really the draw there for me was uh, some stewardship. So uh, they have a program where you can adopt a section of the trail. And so I've actually adopted two sections because the first one, it turns out, I couldn't do any work in it because the land manager wouldn't let me uh, up in the Glacier Peak area because they wanted their efforts elsewhere. So my section is now at my heart's pass and I've progressed in learning things, but the key thing to kind of understand is that uh, you know people that work on trails aren't superheroes. These are regular hikers that want to give back to the trails and, and make them better for the future. So. When I first started, I had zero training. I now train people. Uh, we just got out of the uh, Pacific Crest Trail Association. Uh, the North 350 Blades is the organization up here that I deal with and, and we just had our trail skill college and I was actually teaching people. And it's four years later, uh, you know, starting with the organization, now I'm leading and teaching people. It's, it's a pretty cool thing. There's some cool diagrams too that we use to show people your typical trail has a back slope of 45 degrees. Then your trail itself needs to be five degrees in angle towards the down slope then okay. so so the obvious typical trail when you're walking on a hillside has that back slope or upslope and then the trail itself the tread and then it's going down on the other side and that's your typical trail because you want that water to come off that hillside and just fall right off the other side
0: oh, that's amazing this is stuff that hikers probably never even think about how old were you when you first did your first trail service
2: I was probably 28
0: has That just opened your eyes to what goes into a good trail, and yeah. You appreciate them more, I guess.
2: You were talking about those stairs that we saw,
0: yeah,
2: uh, on the way up this trail as well. And what I saw when I saw those stairs was a full day project, yeah. You know, and, and, and people don't say, Oh, wow, look at these cool stairs or these steps. Oh, you know, you see it on a trail, it'll be these rock stairs, and people love those, right? Like, Oh, they've made these cool steps, and I see that, and I think. Oh, man, that was a big project, you know. But people, don't, uh, people don't see that until they go out and actually experience it.
1: And that was no explosives or power tools <laughs> cutting through the rock or anything. This
2: is out there with picks. Picks and <laughs> buckets. And, and, and the one thing, too, that you have to be really cognizant about is where you're getting your, your materials. So there's a lot of trails where they say, okay, you know, we can work on this trail. But you have to only grab dirt from a spot that's already dug up or, you know, you can't just break into land because then you're, you know, you're messing with all the the flora and fauna and and ruining it for, for the next generation.
0: Have you ever been on a trail and thought, wow, this trail needs some love. (laughs) And then what's the next step? Say you have a well loved trail in your area that you know could use some service.
2: So, basically, what you can do locally in Washington, if you have a group of people that would be willing to work on that trail, you can actually present that to WTA and say, hey, look, here's a group of people that want to work on this section of this trail. Can you, can you give us a leader that can come do that? Now, with the Pacific Crest Trail Association, that would be a perfect example to say, hey, do you have a steward that's already adopted a section of the trail? I would love to adopt that section, and I want to be the person that, that sees what needs to happen and lead groups to, to or, or, or borrow a leader that can help fix that trail.
0: I'm just curious, what are the uh, rules about if you come across a spot in the trail that is really muddy, um, like just grabbing stuff off the side of the trail, like down to branches and putting it on top of that muddy spot, is that kind of a no-no or is it, is it okay?
2: I wouldn't say there's really any rules. Anytime you see a big muddy section. It's also because there's a water issue, and what you need is you need a simple drain. And that's, that's one of the classes I led last weekend at the Pacific Crest Trails Association Skills College was a drainage course. Drains are very easy, and they can really just mm-hmm. completely stop a mud hole. And they're actually, they take less than a couple minutes sometimes just to, just to give the water an exit. But as a hiker, you were asking, I don't think there's a problem to throw, like, a log or a rock or something to kind of temporarily fix that. You
0: get your hiking buddy to throw down his jacket so you can walk across it.
2: (laughs) Right, Josh? Sure, yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or it's real easy as a hiker to take 30 seconds and find a stick and cut a little bit of a drain into one of those puddles and and let it out. It's going to probably fill back in before too long, you know, but at least... you did something might help the next hiker
0: well i see on a lot of those muddy spots people widen the trail like i did today (laughs) by walking around it and then it just seems like the problem gets worse the trail gets wider and yeah i guess cutting a cutting a little drainage hole or drainage divot would help but yeah a long-term fix would be be better Mm
2: -hmm. yeah and i could show you guys on the way down that simple fix yeah Hmm. that would be great Yeah. yeah
1: So I'm trying to imagine one of these uh, trail service weekends. In fact, you've got one coming up at Hearts Pass uh, in the fall,
2: right? Yeah, yeah, September 9th and 10th.
1: Okay, so in fact, if we've got listeners in Washington that want to hook up with you, they can just uh, get in touch with you over your yep. Cascade Hiker.
2: Yeah, rudy at cascadehikerpodcast.com is my email.
1: Perfect. And then what's that going to be like? So say they, they get in touch with you, say, okay, I'm coming, I've never done this before, but I, I'm new to hiking and I'm loving it, so I'm coming. And then
2: what's it like that that weekend or that those days that you're up there well to kind of put a perspective on trail work in general uh you kind of start with like a day a day trip you're going to show up at that trailhead and there's going to be a group of people there some of them already have hard hats and and gloves on some of them won't those are all provided if you need them everything you need is provided day trips are all free there's no cost you just need to get there there's somebody leading them they'll talk about safety and above all having fun. And then you'll hike the trail to the location where the work's gonna be getting done and drop your tools and kind of basically walk the trail. And the leader will show you, okay, this is what we're gonna be doing, give you a small example, and then you kind of all split up into a safe zones and start working on the trail.
1: Okay, and so once you split up, each person might be with two or three other people or?
2: Yeah, usually there's a couple more experienced people within the group, not just the leader. Yeah, so that, that would be somebody that could help a group of three or four, where we kind of split up on the trail. When you start getting into the, like the weekend trips, it's the same thing. My heart's past trip is actually a car camp, so we're kind of doing two day trips, so to speak, for yeah. the camp. But if you were doing a weekend trip, like Washington Trails Association, they do their BCRTs, the Backcountry Response Team, and that one you're hiking in and you're covering maybe like 10 miles, and you're going to work in multiple spots. So it's a little different. You do the same thing at the trailhead, you give your safety talk, then you're hiking in with your tools.
1: Okay, yeah, and carrying your your backpacking gear because you're going to spend the night up there. Exactly. Or, as you mentioned at Hearts Pass, leave all the camping gear right there at the trailhead. Uh, you still get to spend the night, so you don't have to carry it all
2: with you as you go up and do the trail work. Right, and the cool thing about the Hearts Pass trip, for example, is we have a camp cook. And all meals are free, it's all totally free event. And... Uh, There are some organizations that charge for those type of things, but we just want people to come out and experience it, and so why charge them? Awesome.
0: That sounds really fun. Mm -hmm.
1: A couple months ago, one of our listeners, her name is Diane, and she contacted us over Facebook, and she said, you know, my son is growing up and moving out, and now it's just me, and I love going hiking, but how do I find people to get together with? And we said, well you know there's different hiking groups she said well I've I've tried meetup.com tried a few others never really connected with anyone that way and and we said well one idea we haven't tried it but one idea is to sign up for trail work and we happen to know that since she's in Washington uh, the Washington Trails Association is really strong and active and they do a lot of trail work and it was like three weeks later she contacted us back and said I've been out on two trips already, and I totally feel like I've found my my people, my group. I mean, it was awesome. just amazing. Uh, she had never done it before, and a month later,
2: she's been out twice already doing trail service. Yeah, it can be a lot of fun that way. And as you were kind of saying that, I was kind of thinking of uh, an older movie that I like. Jim Carrey and the cable guy and the other character has to say you know I just don't have any more room in my life for new friends (laughs) and you know that's how I feel sometimes when people reach out and that's a great place to send them is is for trail work because everybody wants to say oh hey I want to go hiking with you well that's great I got a lot of plans and can't always make it happen but but trying to find that trail crew is a perfect place yeah that's cool that Diane did that
0: well we want to thank Rudy from Cascade Hiker for sharing his experience with trail crews Uh, do you have any final thoughts Rudy?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, you know, thanks for having me on, and uh, you know, check out the podcast, especially uh, when Heather and Josh come on the podcast. That'd be a good one to listen to. So, yeah, I just want to say that, uh, like I like I mentioned before, it's really easy to do, and you're all you're doing is making things better for that next generation, and even for yourself. I don't plan on stopping hiking anytime soon, and so I, it, one of the funnest things about trail work is when you work on a trail and then you go back and you see your work that you did, whether it was last year or even just a couple of weeks later. And you could could see how all of a sudden that mud hole is gone. And you're like, I didn't think that was going to work. This Rudy guy doesn't know what he's (laughs) talking about. But then when you saw it and then you see the other side of that, it's a really cool thing. And so look up where you're at, where you can give back to the trail in your community.
0: Well, we had a great time with Rudy on the trail. He is probably the friendliest hiker I have ever hiked with or seen on the trail. He says hi to everyone and just kind of starts up little conversations along the trail. He was just a lot of fun. And we'll be recording a show with him for the Cascade Hiker podcast.
1: You can find the Cascade Hiker podcast at northcascadehiker.com. And when our episode with him comes out, uh, we'll be sure to let you all know over Facebook and Twitter.
0: Well, we were so inspired by our conversation with Rudy that today's top five list is going to be the top five benefits of doing trail service with an organized trail crew. And if you were listening carefully to our interview with him, none of these will be surprising to you. He really sells the idea of joining a trail crew and having that experience. The first benefit of doing trail service with an organized trail crew is instant friends. Now, either you can invite friends with you and just enjoy working on the trail together, or you can play friend roulette and just become instant friends with all of the people that show up to this organized event.
1: And as I mentioned in our conversation with Rudy, uh, our listener Diane, who contacted us recently and was looking for people to hike with, When she went out to a trail crew, she wrote back to us and said, I have found my people. That's what it's going to be like. You go out there and you're going to be with people who are like you, who enjoy being in the outdoors, enjoy the trails, enjoy the wilderness and the solitude. I think it's going to be easy to make friends.
0: The number two benefit of doing trail service with an organized trail crew is that you are maintaining and improving the trails that you love. So this is a little bit of selfish service. You know that the work that you do is going to directly benefit you next time you go out. And there is nothing wrong with that because it means when you go back, you'll be able to look at that little area that you made a difference in with real pride. And of course, you're going to make sure that nothing bad happens to that area because that's your area. That's your spot. No piece of litter is going to make its way to the ground there. You're like its little protective trail angel of that little region of the trail. So it gives you a little more vested interest. You know, you've put that sweat equity into your trail.
1: The number three benefit of doing trail service with an organized trail crew is that you'll help to prevent trail erosion. Erosion is caused by, well, mostly water. It takes a while for air to cause erosion, but water causes all kinds of problems on trails. See, the thing about trails is they don't have vegetation on them. So the mountainside would probably be just fine, thank you, without all of us. And so since people have made the trails people need to be responsible for designing those trails and keeping them maintained in a way that prevents the erosion from happening.
0: And while most erosion is caused by water, everyone or everything that is on the trail ends up having some kind of impact on the trail. And I found a really interesting article that we're going to link to in today's show notes all about the impact of different types of trail users. So we'll have the link in today's show notes at first40miles.com The number four benefit of doing trail service with an organized trail crew is that you probably won't take trails for granted anymore. Once you've worked on a trail, you know how much work goes into creating and grading and maintaining that trail. All of those little features that we just step right on or step right over, like the steps or um, trees that have fallen, but we can walk right through them because someone saw a path through them, the drainage that's built in, those um, protected switchbacks that someone has replanted, all of those different things happened because a trail crew came in and repaired or installed something that would make the trail robust. That's my new favorite word for the week.
1: (laughs) Ah, Katie Bowman says that word. She does. That
0: is a really good word, robust. Yeah, oh yeah. We, We like robust trails. We want them to last forever. When you realize how much work goes into maintaining and improving these trails, it also really gives you a deep respect for Mother Nature. We worked on a trail cleanup crew where we were assigned to clear some brush. Um, off the side of the trail. And there were about 30 people working there for about three or four hours. And we were clearing a fairly small area, just wearing our protective gloves and using our own muscles. Some people had, um, you know, a shovel. There was one guy with a chainsaw. Um, But it was a really humbling experience to see how tenacious and powerful Mother Nature is and how weak And feeble and slow, we are. I mean, even something as simple as pulling a one inch root from the ground without tools, you just feel like you're nothing. And this area that we cleared was such a small little drop in the bucket in terms of impact, but it took a long time.
1: The Heather Lake Trail had quite a few boardwalks on it. And as we walked over those boardwalks, we had new appreciation for the, um, what are they called? The slats? The the boards on top of the boardwalk that were hand cut. We're not talking about just sawing a log by hand. That's pretty impressive. But then hewing those into these nice boards that are four inches thick by about 12 inches wide by about three feet long. That's amazing stuff.
0: Yeah. And this wasn't wood that was helicoptered in. This was wood that was taken from the forest near Heather Lake.
1: And further down the trail, we stopped at a spot where a bunch of trees had fallen over the trail and had been cut out of the way. And he showed us how to tell the difference between a tree that had been cut with a chainsaw versus a handheld crosscut saw. Well, we've never noticed that before, but next time we go hiking in a wilderness area where chainsaws are not allowed, we're going to be watching for that telltale sign that he showed us of logs that were cut by hand.
0: Well, the number five benefit of doing trail service with an organized trail crew is that underfunded trails slash heavily trafficked trails get the love they need. So this is interesting because it kind of goes both ways. You have those underfunded trails that sometimes get neglected and end up getting overgrown and kind of... eh. Not really well taken care of, a trail crew can come in and clear the brush and make sure that that trail can still be used. but then you have those heavily trafficked trails where thousands and thousands of people will go through there will be a significant concentrated impact, and often there is a trail organization they're kind of this not stewards but um not ambassadors what's the word <laughs> I'm looking for. Uh, advocates, they're trail advocates, um, to ensure that these heavily trafficked trails get the love that they need to.
1: So if you haven't yet participated in a trail cleanup or wilderness cleanup, find the organization in your area that makes those things happen. Sign up, give it a try. We think you'll love it.
0: Oh yeah, and one more thing, Rudy also mentioned that if there isn't a trail organization in your area, you can put together your own crew And who would be the best person to contact once you have your crew put together?
1: You would contact the land manager for that land that the trail is on. It might be the Forest Service uh, for National Forest. might be even in a national park, uh, BLM land, or maybe state lands.
0: And where would you buy your Pulaski?
1: Uh, Because
0: you can't really do much without a Pulaski.
1: You know one of our date night ideas is to go to one of those logging stores someday yes! just to check them out. They probably have Pulaskis there, but I don't know
0: I bet they have a boatload of Pulaskis
1: but currently we we don't know where to buy a Pulaski. Does amazon have them
0: um i you gotta check p u l a s k huh. i s oh my goodness, Amazon sells Pulaskis.
1: Well, if you just want to buy a Pulaski just for the fun of it, you can get it for 35 bucks on Amazon.
0: Excellent. For today's Summit Gear Review, we'll be reviewing the Human Gear Go Tub. I'm kind of curious how many seasoned backpackers still use those old film canisters to hold things. Those were the days. I mean, those things held everything yeah. from like your milk money for the week to, I don't know, marbles, random stuff. All
1: kinds of spare stuff from around the house screws, pins, paper clips.
0: I know. Those little canisters were so handy.
1: How have we survived without them?
0: I don't know. Because you can also like do fun stuff with them, like fill them with vinegar and a little bit of baking soda, and then the top pops off. It's hysterical. It's so much <laughs> fun. Well, if you don't have any film canisters handy left over from the 80s, Human Gear has created something that's even better that can come with you on your next backpacking trip. The Human Gear Go Tubs are small lidded plastic containers, and the unique feature of the GoTub is that you squeeze the side and that releases the lid. So it's not a screw top container, but it's a pop-top. But not a traditional pop top. It's really innovative. These containers are food safe, 100% BPA free, PC free, which should make all those Mac people happy, and <laughs> phthalate free. For utility, the lids for the Go tubs are transparent, and each tub, once you take off the lid, has a little textured place where you can write the contents of the tub. And then once you put the lid back on, you can still see it through the lid.
1: Oh, that's cool. So the label that you write on there doesn't wear off because it's protected by the lid, but you can see through the lid.
0: Exactly. Clever, huh? These can be opened with one hand, which is awesome on the trail because usually we're understaffed. One hand is trying to light the stove while your other hand is trying to balance a package of food. And we're doing all of this while we're squatting and trying not to breathe in the mosquito that's circling around our heads. We've just got a lot going on, so it's nice that this lid can just pop off with one hand. For mass, the small go tub is 0.2 ounces or 5 grams. The small go tub measures about 1 and a quarter inches wide by about an inch tall. And the medium go tub is a bit larger. It's 0.7 ounces or 20 grams, and it measures about three inches wide by one and a quarter inches tall.
1: So the medium one is about the size of those um, chewing gum containers that are meant to look like chewing tobacco containers. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's about that size. The little ones, what would you compare it to? You've always got these uh, amazing comparisons. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's the size of a Carmex. You know, the old Carmex lip balms. Oh, okay. It's about that size. And for maintenance, you'll just want to hand wash the go tubs in warm, soapy water. For investment, it's about $7 for a three pack of the small containers and $9 for a three pack of the medium containers. For trial, these containers are great at storing everything except for liquids. So you can store things like spices earplugs, pills, foot powder, uh, soap, or baking soda, which has a ton of great uses on and off the trail.
1: I really like that one-handed operation of opening it. It's not just the fact that you only need one hand to open it, but that as you squeeze the lid, which I guess I should explain, the lid actually surrounds the top and sides of the canister. So when the lid is on, you only see the bottom of the canister not covered by the lid. And so when you squeeze the sides of the lid, that's what pops the lid apart from the canister. But what's cool is that because you, because of the way they designed it, when you squeeze the lid and it makes that pop, the lid doesn't go flying because you're holding onto it, you're squeezing it. The canister does not go flying either. The canister has been designed with just such a contour that by squeezing the lid, you have released the lid from the canister, but the canister is still securely held by you because of the fact that you squeeze the lid. And then as you unsqueeze on the lid, that allows the canister to drop out from the lid. So you have more control that way, especially, you know, out in the dirt, and you're sitting There and fiddling with a container, you finally get the lid to pop and it goes flying five feet and you totally lose it. That's not a problem with these uh, human gear go tubs.
0: So they're a sturdy, innovative, lightweight way to store just random little pieces of gear that you take with you on the trail.
1: For today's backpack hack of the week, draining standing water on trails. As we talked with Rudy, one of the things we were curious about was, well, you can be part of a trail crew and that's great because they'll teach you what to do and help you do it right so when i'm just on my own and i'm out hiking can i do anything to improve the trail or would my efforts actually be counterproductive because i haven't been trained on the proper way to improve a trail well it turns out with the problem of standing water on a trail You can do something about it. And your fix may be temporary. It may not last long. But you can still do it. It's okay. And it's going to help the next hiker that comes along. Probably hikers over the next several days will benefit from this simple little act that you did to clear the water. So it's a a quick five-second fix. Actually, it takes me a little more than five seconds now that I think about it. Because I go find a really nice stick. (laughs) But
0: depending... (laughs) A nice stick.
1: A nice stick.
0: Not one of those used, kind of broken-down old sticks. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Uh, Here's how it works. Just find a nice stick, or if you want to use your boot, that's fine, and find the edge of that water puddle on the trail, on the downhill side, and just cut a little trench through the edge. That'll let the water drain off the side of the trail and down the hill. And once you've created that drain, it allows that whole piece of trail to dry up because the water has a way out.
0: So this is something that anyone can do. If you're on a trail crew and they want it to be a long-term fix, what they need to do is bring in a drainage pipe, dig a trench, and install or lower the pipe down into that section of trail. And from what Rudy said, it sounds like a pretty simple operation, Uh, but it's just you got to bring in the pipe. That means someone's got to pack it in, and then someone else has got to pack in a shovel. But in the meantime, before that happens, your shoe or a good sturdy stick can help drain the swamp. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Joseph Wood Crutch. He said,
1: We need some contact with the things we sprang from. We need nature at least as part of the context of our lives. Without cities, we cannot be civilized. Without nature, without wilderness even, we are compelled to renounce an important part of our heritage.
0: That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. deep inspiring (laughs) otherwise it goes in the outtakes (laughs) and we'll throw you in the river okay
2: you mean heather leckler yes (laughs)